Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, I really love some of the concepts in polyamory, and I love the things that I've read about it, but I'm so afraid that for me, it's untenable because I'll just get too triggered. I, had I actually like prepared myself more, I may have held back more because of that same fear and feeling. Welcome back to Open Late Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Spandiari, and this episode is a part two with Irene Morning, author of Polyamory Paradox. Irene is a good friend. This is not her first time on the show. She's one of my all-time favorite guests. Um, the Polyamory Paradox is a brand new book. It is a bestseller on non-monogamy and polyamory and how to do the somatic healing work you need to in your body to enjoy this kind of relationship in a healthy way. We talk about all kinds of things from the window of tolerance, how to do enough that you're growing and learning and having these exciting, sexy times, but not re-traumatizing yourself. We talk about control versus containment. We talk about Irene's writing process and the process of birthing this book. So I don't want to gab any longer. Let's just get right back to it. Yeah. For, for <laughs> those of you listening who ask that a lot, like, you know, how do I, how do I go about this when it's going to really <laughs> kill me? Wait, we have this quote. <laughs> um, I want this, but I feel like I'm yeah. going to die. Clementine Morgan, who you can share a little bit about uh, why you chose that if you'd like, but mm -hmm. that is the sentiment that I hear all day long. Um, from so many people who haven't yet started to open or just, it. Mm -hmm. I think about this all the time, mm -hmm. but I know that it, it feels like it's going to kill me if I attempt. It. Yeah. And, and I hear that sentiment, particularly from people who know that they have some amount of trauma in their history, like particularly people who identify with a complex PTSD diagnosis or know that mental health has been a struggle for them of like, okay, I really love some of the concepts in polyamory and I love the things that I've read about it, but I'm so afraid that for me, it's untenable because I'll just get too triggered. And I don't know, I feel for that so much because it's, because I mean, there's, there's part of me that's like, I had I actually like prepared myself more, I may have held back more because of that same fear and feeling, you know, and I like I want to say to people, it's not that it's like out of reach for you. It's that the process may look very different than what you think it's going to look like. And I actually think that's true for everyone. And it may go a lot slower than you think it quote unquote should, because it's going to bring up stuff that you need to figure out how to navigate and figure out how to contain for yourself so that that window of tolerance can grow at a rate that actually works for you rather than you just getting outside of it and then everything being a shit show. 
Yeah. And if you go at the speed that you're assuming that you are going to go, it's going to hurt likely a lot more and, and possibly have ruptures that aren't really mendable. Um, don't slow down. And that's the thing I was just sharing with a friend yesterday. Yeah. Actually, we got together and she's just starting to dip her toes into a healthy uh, understanding of ENM. She had attempted to practice this with her husband as they were separating, but it was just something that they did solo and it, it did not work. And now she's entering with a lot more tools and still this was her first experience and it was really hard for her because she felt like, um, you know, she was being punished and sharing all these things with me. And I'm just thinking like, mm -hmm. yes. And like, it hurts so much that this is the stuff that I know that she wants to be working on anyway. So it's like, if you are willing to, to open yourself up to these old wounds, it's actually not pain from the present really at all. It's really the pain from the old wounds. Then the possibility of like that matched level of pleasure uh, and, and excitement and experiences that make mm -hmm. you feel amazingly whole and complete because this is a side of yourself that's within you that now you're accessing are available also, but only, <laughs> only if you're willing to like go through the really mm -hmm. uncomfortable, painful parts, you can't have one without the other. Yeah. And, and the thing that comes up for me around that is like, this is easier said than done. And I really want to acknowledge that because I, I know that finding like right fit support can be really challenging and finding right fit support when you're going through that kind of really rough emotional process can really transform how it operates for you. So to whatever degree it's accessible for you, if you know that you're going to be facing some of that stuff, like resourcing yourself with more help, more support, more, um, I was about to say more input, but not necessarily more input. You want kind of like a targeted approach. Um, and, and when I say right fit support, I think the thing that, that comes up for me is, you know, you and I were touching a little bit before we started recording on, like containment versus control. And like, if I can make a plug for getting right fit support, it's that when you're in that really rough emotional processing, a lot of the ways of operating, whether consciously or not, are trying to reach for control because we feel so out of control. And when we have right fit support to help us digest actually like what's going on there and what is the old pain that we can deal with and process on its own, then in our present moment, we get to shift things to being less about like, I'm trying to control these situations and more in sort of this like empowered, like I'm accessing my agency more. I need to create some containment so that I can stay in my power, not like unconsciously, like, let me just control every single like component of this. Yeah. Which just like, honestly feels so much better. <laughs> and it's hard to imagine if you haven't, if you're like only used to trying to create the control, right? Like if you don't actually. And that's why this is called the polyamory paradox. The polyamory parallel, you know, like there mm -hmm. it's, it's mm -hmm. so much like learning how to, <laughs> um, 
I think how to both and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, it's, and that's love anyway. That's like the dance of desire, you know, not to bring it back mm-hmm. to Sarah Burrell, but it's, she's just like, <laughs> but she's so relevant to everything. Mother Mary. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, a, it's this autonomy and surrender, like at all times. It's like, leaning into giving up control, mm-hmm. but also having your agency and, um, and caught like what you said in the beginning, bringing mm-hmm. it back to that, why your personal, why, and then, you know, to apply that to your relationship mm-hmm. goals and agreements or whatever that is and have, have those check-ins because mm-hmm. you're constantly evolving. And the great thing, which you talk about in here, and I want to turn it back over to you, but I just want to say, you know, one of the best things I got out of this book was, you know, I'm, I'm a decade in, I don't need a ton of reassurance in my non-monogamy, but it's also so great to like have the reflections that would have been great for me when I was younger, because it's still affirming, like, even though I'm doing it, it's still so nice to be like, Mm -hmm. Oh, right. Because when you're in the experience Mm -hmm. that feels like the world is blowing up around you, you can't see past that. And you don't realize that this moment is actually just fortifying you. And in in two or three days time, you're actually going to feel so solid and understood, especially like if you can come to your partner and create intimacy, have those conversations Um, and whatever your process is, you know, journal about it, um, meditate on it. But it's like, those are the moments that create more stability and, you know, just more confidence in yourself. And so as you go along this journey, it does get easier and easier. And it doesn't mean the work ever stops because, you know, we're all onions and it will just keep coming. But the beautiful thing in this, in this book, and I think in a lot of the great work that we're starting to have out there and, you know, there's so many different people talking about non-monogamy. It's like, okay, we create this really strong foundation out of all of these moments and out of all of these learnings and these big ahas, even though it feels like the rug got pulled out from under you. The great thing is tomorrow is a new day and it's a completely different day. You're never in the same spot. So even though it feels like you're going to die, you'll be resurrected. <laughs> exactly. You'll you'll have so many resurrections and non-monogamy. It's so true. I, I kind of want to ask you what what are your favorite parts maybe that we haven't covered and maybe something that you want people to, to know they can expect from the book? Ooh, that's a good question. You know, I think we've, we have kind of been touching on it a little, we touched on, you know, the unsolvable problem. I think one of the things for me that is really significant, no matter what type of relationship you're in or, or what, structure of relationship works for you is the, is really the idea of leaning into conflict as an opportunity to deepen intimacy and understanding that conflict is always going to come up in our relationships. It is part of human relationship for us to fuck up, to make mistakes, to misunderstand each other, to do things that hurt each other, not intentionally. And to really get in this practice if we have enough trust in someone, if someone has proven, proven themselves enough, and, and I put that caveat on it because like this doesn't apply to situations of abuse. And so they're like, there is some nuance here. 
but where we have rupture really becomes an opportunity to deepen our intimacy through repair. Like how do we come back together? How, when we're in conflict, does it get to be an opportunity to say, okay, I'm expressing some kind of unmet need. My partner is expressing some kind of hurt or unmet need. What is that telling me about each of us? And how can we, rather than like part of what happens in conflict for people most of the time, right, is when we feel misunderstood, we feel unheard, we feel unseen, it becomes, okay, we're on different teams and I have to like make my argument to you to convince you to hear me, see me, feel me, whatever it is. But if we can shift that a little bit, it's like, how do we get back to being on the same team so that we can both you know, be expressing our hurt, but also seeing and hearing and feeling each other, which is really a a complex kind of like advanced emotional functioning, right? Of like, I'm in my pain and I can hold space for your pain at the same time. But that to me is like what really deepens our intimacy with each other, because like, that's where we're most vulnerable is saying, Hey, I'm in pain. And it not being a like, attack on each other or reason to continue spiraling into rupture, but saying like, how do we see this as something that we're going to have to keep going through? And so how do we support each other in it? Yeah. That, that two people facing the problem rather than facing each other as the problem. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that is also in non-monogamy where some of the discernment of like, where do I have other needs that maybe are better met in other contexts comes in of like, if I'm continuing to communicate that something's missing for me in this particular partnership, how can I think about filling that part of my cup in other places? And that doesn't necessarily mean with other people, right? It can, but there's something for me also just in sort of like the philosophy and the mindset of non-monogamy that asks us to think more broadly about embodying our whole self and getting our needs met in places beyond just this one partnership. Yeah. That always, that's so beautiful. It makes me think about the monogamous relationships actually that I'm seeing transform based on some of these principles of non-monogamy that will never likely be Mm non-monogamous and never open, Mm -hmm. but are using the tools of like, you know, seeing yourself as a whole person, seeing your partner as a whole person and not expecting them to fill all your needs. And as you said, having, you know, the ability to look outside of your partner Mm -hmm. and meet your needs, maybe not sexually, maybe just you know, other ways of body-based pleasure or, you know, spiritual energetic pleasure and things like that. And that, that really excites me. I feel like, you know, beyond the mission of wanting to normalize Mm -hmm. monogamy, I just love the idea that people will begin to use pleasure and intimacy and vulnerability and authenticity in ways that can open their relationships, maybe not to other lovers, but just open their relationships, period. Because that's like going to be such a beautiful world. Probably not totally. one that like I'll be, you know, 
around for completely, but my kids will be, and that'll be exciting. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. I feel like we're evolving pretty quickly right now. You never know. I definitely believe in that 4% rule of like uh, collective consciousness. You know about the 4% thing? I'm going to butcher it, but I heard a long time ago, someone said that once we reach um, 4% of the population being aware and and enlightened or in whatever way you want to measure that, um, Mm. that it will spiral very quickly then to the rest Mm -hmm. of the planet that all we need. Interesting. That that like, that's the tipping point where then it becomes exponential. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, we've got to be there at least if we are in the age of Aquarius. Interesting. Yeah. I I think the other thing that's coming up for me that we didn't really touch on is like one of the things where I take a slightly different stance than a lot of like, I don't know, more traditional quote unquote uh, non-monogamy advice is, and I, I don't actually remember off the top of my head how much I get into this. And I know I tell the story of like, I closed my anchor partnership um, more than once actually. And I, I have a slightly different stance on sort of like the permission to close a relationship than some of like, at least the older non-monogamy stuff that like I was reading when I started that was kind of, you know, very hard line of like your jealousy is yours to manage and like you take ownership and like you figure out your insecurities and like you deal with it. Um, and that it's like not fair to ask to close down a relationship, particularly if someone is, you know, polyamorous, like in their identity and not just as like a, a contextual thing or a practice. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Um, where... For me, and and I say this also with the caveat of like, if someone, if your partner is not in a place to close down the relationship, that is also completely within the reason of like their authority and their choice. You can't force someone to close down a relationship that also is not helpful. Um, However, I do think of non-monogamy very much as sort of like relational ecosystems. And if someone in that ecosystem is past their threshold or operating outside their window of tolerance, the whole ecosystem suffers. And so it, it's not to me, this thing of like, avoid shutting down a relation, like avoid closing a relationship at all costs. It's more like if the ecosystem, if somewhere in the ecosystem needs tending to can we approach that in a way that's actually framed as being supportive to the whole ecosystem for everyone to kind of like hit pause for a second and recalibrate and get to the core of what's going on there. Right. And of course, the more partners you have in the mix, the more complicated that is going to be and the more feelings that are going to be around it. And I would really like to think that we are living and operating in a world where we all want to have healthy relational ecosystems Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that for sure. It's, 
you know, I mentioned it earlier, just the simple idea of like not really being able to spend time with like other partners. If my, if my fish tank ain't clean at home. Um, <laughs> yeah. And as I think about that more, it's not like a, a black and white thing because like I can be with Lauren anytime, you know, mm-hmm. Right. It's not like a rule that you've set up of like, this has to be in this place in order to step outside. Mm-hmm. But it's like, what I hear from you in that is like, this is what feels right to me is like, this happens to be my priority. And so I'm going to tend to that as like the platform for then going to other relationships or other explorations. Right. Yeah. One of the other things that we didn't talk about, which I feel like we spend a lot of time talking about anyway in our regular life is community. Uh, we're both big community builders. We have a big overlap in our community, mm-hmm. whether it comes to, you know, just the culture of like Burning Man and music and knowing a lot of the same people. For people who are newer on their journey to people that are still trying to navigate maybe in a place where they're not out or public or open about having an a relationship that's non-traditional, you know, we have had, I think, an easier time in that, mm-hmm. knowing the people that we do. And, you know, you've been able to create a community uh, that has a beautiful container focused on intimacy and connection and, you know, enthusiastic consent. And I've been to some of your events. Uh, what I think I want to know and what I'd love for you to share with people is maybe some insights of how to build that for themselves. If say they don't live in Los Angeles or, you know, they don't live in Austin. Mm -hmm. That's one of the biggest questions that I get Mm -hmm. too is like, okay, well, there's no one like Mm -hmm. me uh, where I live. And and I know because the moment that I, (laughs) the moment that I was public about my non-monogamy, people came out of the woodwork. I've got people went to high school with in the boonies which we call god's country cow country pennsylvania where there were amish and mennonite people in my high school and there are people there who are like dming me so i know it's possible when you start to be public about it but for the people who can't i guess you know it's kind of like a a rock and a hard place how do you go about creating community where you feel like there is none and, um, yeah, it's a tall order, but what would you say? <laughs> well, I, I, God, I have, I, this could be like a whole episode unto itself. And I also want to acknowledge, like, it's, I'm going to speak from a place where I, I feel everything that you just said is absolutely true in terms of like how I tap into community in like LA and San Francisco. And I don't actually live in those places. Like I live out in a much more secluded part of California in the desert with a much smaller population and a much more conservative, um, just like general context, like all of our neighbors are not in, in, in the same realms as I am. Um, and I'm so grateful for the community that I have in those places. And I actually like really struggle with this in my own daily life. Like when I'm out here, I'm recording this, I'm at home right now. This is something that I have not actually cracked for myself in a more secluded context. There are a lot of tools that I can recommend that might work for people. And I want to be really transparent about 
not all, all of those tools work for everyone. Like one of the things that I recommend to people who feel more secluded is getting into some of the online forums, like um, Remodeled Love does a great job with their Discord server. Um, and there are a lot of like online resources for like chat rooms and uh, some version of online community of people who are exploring and experiencing and thinking about these things the same way. And if you really feel like there's nowhere nearby to be finding people, um, I do actually like really recommend that. And it can just be really hard. And that's part of it. Um, I, I think where if you're in a place that has any sort of sex positive, like adult educational programming, like the organization that comes to mind for me in LA in particular is sex positive LA. They do a lot of uh, sex positive, sexual health, sexual identity, sexuality, education and workshops and events for adults showing up in those spaces without the intention of finding people to hook up with, but actually just the intention of meeting people who are talking more openly about sexuality and relationships and seeing how other people experience non-monogamy, seeing, hearing other people's stories, tapping into that realm of exploration that's, that's actually more platonic, I think is really, really, really supportive for whatever your journey is in non-monogamy. Um, and, and one of the other things that I also talk with clients about is actually finding play parties, finding sex parties and dipping a toe in maybe without the intention at first of having sex or any sort of sexual contact in that space. I think like, I mean, I, I could talk for days about the, the healing power of play parties. And I think a lot of people before they're, they've ever been in that kind of context are coming to it with the expectation that if everyone's there to have sex, they are expected to have sex. And I really want everyone to hear loud and clear, like that is not necessarily the case going into those spaces and saying, I want to actually just like meet and make community here of people who are like-minded in their attitudes is not only welcome, it's actually very normal. Like I meet a lot of people who go to play parties and don't play in that context. I, I tend to be one of them. Like it's not usually where I feel most comfortable or turned on to have sex, but I also know it's a culture where I'm more likely to meet people who are on the same page as me in terms of how they think about relationships. And I think one of the things that you're touching on about like the community that, that we've built is my partner and I run um, a sex positive, like event based community. That's mostly in Southern California where the events themselves are not explicitly play parties but we've created a space where there's, there's a lot of focus on what the culture is and there's guidelines for how we want people to be interacting and communicating with each other. And it's not a play party, but it is a sex positive space. So sexual interaction is welcome. And 
what we found that winds up meaning for like the people who are attracted to us is there's a lot of people who are maybe curious about relating in new ways and curious about communicating in more consensual ways and maybe curious about dipping a toe in non-monogamy, but wouldn't necessarily go to a play party. Right. And so we get kind of a, a broader range of what people are interested in and open to. And to me, that's a really, I mean, I know I'm biased, (laughs) but it's a really beautiful approach to the whole thing of like, let's just normalize operating more consensually in our party spaces and our social spaces, and then have that ripple out into how people relate in general. And it winds up being so much more supportive for whatever people's process is around whatever they're doing in their relationships. Yeah. Wow. There's so, so much there that you share that I resonate with and that I agree with wholeheartedly. Um, Yeah. For people listening, I think it's going to be such an inspiring piece of this episode. So much of the time, I think there's a disconnect of people searching for community because they're looking for people that are like-minded, but then when it's time to put the effort or energy into Mm -hmm. actually going out and like meeting someone or taking your time out or investing your weekend into something. And generally only will happen if it's like, Oh, we might go to this place and hook up with people. And and maybe I'm judging from my own experiences and, you know, the journey that we've Mm -hmm. had, but I think that having more spaces where people are just needing to share and not that there might be like an interest, uh, like a in sexual interest mm-hmm. would be so great. And I know that, you know, you guys provide that and there are more things like that popping up. And so I think if, you know, we could create that at Open Late and people who are listening can just create that in their own communities by going into places that maybe are just like you said, sex ed focused or, you know, LGBTQ AI plus focused where you're going to meet people who are at least very accepting and open and curious and understanding or experienced in the things that you want to be opening up to and just to make friends in those realms. And then you can build community based on that. Like I just wanted to really highlight that part of what you said and paint that picture for people. We just actually joined, there's, there's a new thing in LA called open social and it's essentially just dinner parties. Um, I haven't attended one yet, so I can't speak to like how it is. We are about Mm -hmm. to later this month and the whole focus is it's not about, you know, playing. It's not about having a play party after nothing like that. It's like, okay, we're going to have dinner with these 12 people that are also, you know, some version of non-traditional relating, which I think is so cool. Like, and I, and so important because like, as you're, you're talking about this, I'm also putting together like some of the conversations, a lot of the conversations that I have with people who are starting to dabble in non-monogamy and feeling isolated where they live, there's a sense of like, pressure on like the people that they're matching with on dating apps or wherever they are meeting people of like, okay, yeah, if my options totally. are limited. Then like, let's get it on. <laughs> and I, I really think the more that we can actually build out the community 
with the understanding that it's not necessarily going to be sexual, mm-hmm. the more pressure it takes off. Right. And, and I also kind of want to layer in the, like this one other piece of more and more it's coming up in my coaching practice with people of actually approaching some of their dating app relationships with more of like a, Hey, I want to focus on non-monogamous friendship right now. Like I'm actually just trying to build out my community of people who are practicing non-monogamy. Can we go on more of like a friend date? And a lot of the conversations I'm having with clients is them sort of realizing like, Oh, I've been using sex to get affection or love or approval or what, like all of these things that I don't actually need it for right now. And what I need is more community around this. So can I give myself permission to actually just like own that in some of these interactions and start to differentiate that out? Right. I mean, it, it brings me back to the question at the beginning of like people anchoring into their why. I think sometimes as we evolve in this, we realize that our, our why for when we first start getting into non-monogamy is sometimes actually feeling like, okay, more relationships can fill this need for community that I didn't even realize was a need. And as we can start to like parse that out a little bit, we can get actually more yeah. aligned wow. in how everything is, is working for us. I'm so, so grateful that you wrote it just so that I finally have like, the. I, I have a lot of resources. You can find them linked um, on our website, but this book will also be linked in the show notes. And this is the first book on the resource page because it is the first one that you should be reading. So, so grateful to you, my love. Thank you for coming back on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's always a joy to talk to you. I can't wait for our in-person events. I know. Yeah, everyone stay tuned. We're working on stuff. Stay tuned, y'all. Well, that is a wrap on Irene Morning. Make sure you grab this book if you are interested in non-monogamy. We've linked it in the show notes. Also, if you haven't yet listened to episode 56, which is the first episode that we recorded with Irene last year, Mind, Body, Non-Monogamy, go check it out. It's incredible. I think you know it's a precursor to a lot of the things that we talk about in today's episode and in last week's episode. She's just incredible. I highly recommend working with her. As I talk about in the episode, you know, she was my coach all of last year and she really helped me reclaim my own personal pleasure and put it at the forefront of my life. I mean, she is the one. Let pleasure be your guide. And I'm so, so grateful to call her a friend and appear in this space. So if you like this episode, make sure you send it to someone who you think can be supported by this as well. Take a moment to review it and I'm sending you so much love. Stay sexy and I will see you next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.